the, the furniture, if you will. Um, if you've not had a chance to, to follow along in this, um, in this series, all of the content is available. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of the content is available on uh, MBT's website. So you can go back and kind of follow. We've looked at the material. We've looked at the construct of the tabernacle itself. We've looked at the layout, the court uh, around the tabernacle if you will. We've looked at the symmetry. We've looked at the different components with a brazen altar where the sacrifice, a picture of, of Christ's uh, death and uh, burial and, and subsequent resurrection, his, his payment certainly for our sins on the altar, the bronze altar. And uh, we saw a couple weeks ago, we saw the, the brazen laver where the, the priest would wash their hands in preparation before and after ministry to make sure that their heart was right uh, before the Lord. We made our way into the tabernacle proper. We separated the curtains and walked into the place called the holy place and see on the left side last week, the golden candlestick, 75 pounds of pure gold that shined light into the holy place, but specifically shined light across the room to the table of showbread. The table of showbread is what we're going to look at today. Um, As we've done, we have the design and the build. Uh, there's a design, a, 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 a charge from God to, uh, to, to Moses on how to build the uh, tabernacle and its components thereof. But then we also see a parallel passage in, in this case, in Exodus 37, about how it was uh, to be, or how, how they actually built it. So Exodus 25, thou shalt make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make there to a crown of gold around about. And thou shalt make it into a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for the places of the staves to bear the table. <clears throat> and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, the spoons thereof, and the covers thereof, and the bowls thereof to cover with all. Of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set the t- uh, upon the table of, sh- of showbread before me always. I apologize, I didn't advance the slide there. In Exodus 37, we see, and he made the table of shittim wood. So this is now the process of, of, of fabrication, the build. And he made the table of shittim wood. Two cubits was the length and thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made thereunto a crown of gold round about. Also he made a, thereunto a border of a hand breadth round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof round about. Kind of two crown moldings, if you will. And he cast for it, of the four rings of gold and put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof or the what we would call legs of a table today over against the border were the rings and the places for the staves to bear the table and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold to bear the table and he made the vessels which were upon the table the dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold. Now, this is a beautiful picture. This table of showbread is a beautiful picture of the word of God. And we're going to see, it's actually a picture of several things, but it's a real, it's, it's a really 
tangible expression of what God wants to do in your life and your ministry with respect to the scriptures, okay? The, the, the candlestick that we looked at last week, a picture of the Holy Spirit, is the one that shines light and allows you to see the table of showbread. The Holy, in a similar pattern, the Holy Spirit today shines light on the word of God to teach it to us. We don't learn the word of God through intellect. Matter of fact, Paul addresses this by saying, I've not come with knowledge, with man's knowledge, but in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how I teach. That's how you learn. This, is, this process is not tied to an intellectual exercise. So let's look for a few moments at the size and the material. So it was two cubits long, one cubit wide, and one and a half cubits tall. So it was 36 inches or so, a yardstick long, about. We don't know exactly how long a cubit is, but we're pretty confident that it's about 18 inches. And 18 inches wide, and then at 27, about height, 27 inch height. So it's a relatively small table. These tables are probably 16, maybe 18 inches uh, wide that you're, look, uh, you know, kind of deep. So if you were to take about a yardstick, that's about the size of the table showbread, relatively small when you look at it, relatively um, simple construction, right? There's a top, there's four feet or legs thereof, right? And then there's this crown molding, this golden crown that goes around. It was made of acacia or shittim wood, and that was overlaid with gold. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it, it had a structure with four feet that were touching the ground, okay? So that's how it, how it stood up. It, it had rings to carry it in the legs of the table. We, we saw that. He cast four rings, and they, would, they were then somehow, um, uh, you know, I'll just call it welded, probably not in the traditional sense, but, but heated and set into the gold that was overlaying the, the legs or the feet. It has this hand-width crown uh, around the top. So uh, whether it sticks out from the table or is into the table is not clear. It's not definitive. But given the fact that it described it as one cubit deep, if you will, wide, three or two cubits long, would imply that it wasn't over the edge. And that's going to be relatively important because we're going to see the picture of how the showbread was placed in a moment. So most people believe it kind of this crown of a hand breadth, if you can imagine a hand breadth now around the edge of the table would take some of the surface area from the table, okay? Now, one of the things that's real interesting is this is the first mention of the word table in scripture, okay? Now, we're several thousand years into human existence at this point, Right. I was talking with someone. Uh, I think I think it was maybe Doug Otto about the timing of when these events would have taken place, and they're in the, uh, you know, I think the I think we twelve thirteen hundred BC. So there's st there's literally thousands of years that have taken a couple thousand that have taken place up to this point. So people had tables, like this is not. This is not a completely new concept, but the, for the fact that it's the first time the word table is mentioned in scripture, I think it's very important. We see that a table is a place to share, to, to commune with someone in eating, 
okay? This table of showbread is where the priest would place this, this bread, and it's a place of communion. <clears throat> Not necessarily the way we look at communion, right? If you're thinking the Lord's Supper, maybe there's some, there's some implications to that, but it's less about that, and it's more about a place where God is meeting man, okay? God is meeting man. I just think it's pretty interesting that it's the first time table appears in Scripture. Now, the purpose. The purpose was to, to hold the showbread, now, let's see, okay, what is showbread? Can it just be bread? Well, this word showbread is actually uh, the bread of presence or the bread of the face, okay? The concept of being present is this, is this, is this show part of showbread, okay? And it was a further, um, a further uh, validation of the concept of communing, of communing. We see in in uh, bread has has long long been uh, a place of of communion a a place of provision. You see, even in Genesis third um, three in in verse nineteen. Uh, go ahead and turn there if you if you don't have scripture open already. I want to look at these three real quick. Um, they're all in Genesis, so hopefully it won't take us long to to flip through them. Three nineteen. <coughs> Excuse me. And in the sweat of the face of thy, I'm sorry, in, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it thou, uh, wast thou taken and the, uh, for dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return. So this is part of the curse of the fall Yet it actually within the curse is a promise that if you work, you will have sufficiency. Okay. Now, it's the curse because they have to work. Up to this point, they didn't have to work. They could just harvest, if you will. They could just eat of the blessings of the fruit of the garden. Basically, God is, is, is chastising Adam and Eve for their sin. And when they leave the garden, Adam's going to have to till the ground. But in the, in the sweat of your fa- face, the sweat of your brow, you're going to be able to eat bread. And God is still providing despite a sinful state, okay? Despite the fact that we're not yet in glory, God is still providing us sufficiency. Like, like I know that science has figured out how that I can go to Panera and eat a baguette because I always get the baguette whenever I get soup like or a salad. I don't know. Is anybody, you with me? I mean, not chips. If you get chips, stop. Get the baguette. I don't even know what's wrong with you. An apple is just... So if you get the baguette, your body has the way of breaking down the bread and turning it into a simple sugar, which is probably why I should stay away from the bread, but it turns it into a simple sugar, and that simple sugar gives you energy. It's pretty amazing how bread has, has really been a sustenance for life from the get-go. From the beginning of the, the fall, the beginning of our sinful state, bread, so no longer are Adam and Eve just walking over and grabbing the apple or grabbing the mango or grabbing the banana. I don't know. I feel like only fruit in the, in the garden. A tomato, still a fruit, I guess. Help me. Cucumbers? Cucumber's still a fruit, I think. Huh? They have seeds. I know. Anyway, <clears throat> no longer are they just going and getting a carrot. Carrot, is that what you said? No longer are they just walking over getting a carrot and eating it. 
Now they have to harvest the wheat, harvest that, grind it, and turn it into something. Yet through that process, God is giving them provision. It's actually, it's actually pretty beautiful if you think about it. Look at Genesis 4, or I'm sorry, 14, a few pages over. Genesis 14 and verse 18. These are just some of the first breads in Scripture. <clears throat> and Melchizedek, king of uh, Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So one of the first priests that we see, kind of before the law is even established, we see that a communion, a communion with God, a connection with God involved bread and wine. The, it's a picture of Christ. Christ even talks about it. We're going to touch on it in a few minutes. This concept of his body and his blood. Genesis 18 and verse 5, a component of comfort. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on. For therefore ye are come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. So then Sarah makes Look at the end of verse six and made cakes upon the hearth. So, so literally this process of having to put some work into it because of the curse, because of the sinful nature, right? But through that, God provides comfort. He provides the ability for someone to sustain life, literally. Some people in even parts of the world today, bread is considered the bread of life because it's so easy to turn for the body to turn bread into a simple sugar and help people survive. In Genesis 19, in verse 3, and they pressed upon them greatly, and, in, and they turned into him and entered into his house, and he did, uh, and he made them a feast, and they did bake unleavened uh, bread, and they did eat. So this communion with each other, this kind of table, if you will is set in Genesis 19. In Genesis 21, in verse 14, we see provision. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar and putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So even as as Abraham is sending, <clears throat> sending her away, her and her son, sending her away after this really bad situation, he provides for her bread. It's bread is like, like, I hope I never have to use a bug out bag. If you know what a bug out bag, you know what I mean? Like, like if the, like if a situation is really bad and like the world's crumbling and financial crisis or World War III nuclear, like bug, people make these bug out bags, but like grab your loaf of bread, like throw some bread or rolls in your bag like don't have you don't need a bug out bag but <clears throat> but if you do like if you're in a situation grab bread bread's going to sustain you bread's going to sustain you so it's also interesting this table this relatively small table holds these cakes of significant size we're going to jump over into Leviticus for a second to understand what's going on to get some some so in Exodus it's all about how to build and how they built the tabernacle in Leviticus, it's all the, the goings-on of how the priests do it. So we can get some, some explanation about the tabernacle. And thou shalt take fine flour, so flour that had been ground very well, and bake 12 cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in, in one cake. Now, two-tenth of a deal is about 12 pounds, uh, pints 
or about one and a half gallons of flour in each cake. <clears throat> That's like 90 pounds of cake. 90 pounds of cake sounds kind of good, but 90 pounds of <clears throat> 90 pounds of bread sitting on this table. So the table is fairly small, and on it, it has 90 pounds of bread. Now, that gives you some, also some perspective on how many priests it's got to feed, because we're going to talk about what happens with the bread in just a minute. But that's a lot of bread sitting on this, okay? That's a lot of bread. Now, they're supposed to change it every Sabbath day, once a week, okay? Every Sabbath, he shall set it in order. Again, we're in Leviticus because we get some color here. He shall set it in order before the Lord continually. So every week, every Sabbath, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So the priest would go in, does some other things, but one of the things he would do was would, would be replace the bread, <clears throat> sorry, put fresh bread, and then would pull the old, old bread out every Sabbath day, every once a week. We see it also in First Chronicles 9, 32. And, uh, and other of their brethren, the sons of the Kohathites, were over the showbread. So these were a subset of the priests. There, it was their job to bake it before every or in, in, to prepare it every Sabbath. So it was their job to bake these, to, to grind the, the flour, to obtain the flour, to grind the flour, and to break, bake these the very immense <coughs> cakes. Okay, so every week we'll see that there's a there's some some value in in why we need to understand that. We'll get to it in a moment. So this arrangement of putting this showbread on this table is a picture. It's actually several pictures. It's a picture of Israel. Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. So the Lord literally is holding up 12 cakes, two rows. Now this rows is kind of a military term that could have been translated as stacks or columns. So we think uh, if anybody uses Excel, I'm, I kind of use Excel a fair amount at work, and you know the difference between a row and a column, right? Rows are horizontal, columns are vertical. But in a military context, you could have a column of men walking this way, and they just turn, and now they can uh, defend an attack coming at them. Have they changed from a row to a column? Well, I guess depending on your perspective, but they're still just a column, okay? So, or stacks. So if you think of, of, of rows of armies being, or, or, uh, or troops kind of being stacked upon each other, okay? So due to the size of the table, right? Relatively small, 90 pounds of flour. Like, I would, I could probably eat a pizza, that big. <laughs> All right? But that's got to go up. Like, you, you can't, I don't know, the, the cakes would be like cylindrical if I had to get six in an actual row, in the English word row. Okay? So they were probably stacked on top of each other, six and six, but they picture the 12 tribes of Israel. And why is this a military concept? Because there's going to come a day 
when they're no longer going to be wandering in the wilderness and they are going to be on the offensive, they are going to be in military array possessing the land. It's a beautiful picture. It's also a picture of scripture. I don't know why those that's red. So this is a, something's, something's wrong here, I think. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, but you're lost. I'm lost. Okay, so some something some something's wrong here. So I apologize. Sixty six books of the Bible on your notes. It says the bread equals the word of God in Matthew four. That should be on the on this on there, but it's probably not on your page. It is. It, I mean, the words are. No, yeah. Turn to Matthew chapter four. It would have been on the on the screen. So I apologize. I'm not sure. Somebody was out late last night and was not. Well, let me just say, I'm probably not going to do that again. I got home at 1.30 this morning. So I should have finished my homework before I went out for a party. That's true. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, yep, Matthew chapter 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This contrast of bread to the spoken word or scripture. In Jeremiah 15, I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. It's like, I'm not like going to rip this page out because I'm a little hungry. Right? There wasn't a, a scroll and start munching on the end of it. That's kind of the thing we would do to teach kids upstairs or in, in kid town rather about, you know, that like, obviously, thy, thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Like Jeremiah realizes that the word of God should be consumed. It's like bread. It's a picture of scripture. It's also a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ. And I don't know what happened here. This is, oh, this is very frustrating. I I, evidently, well, it's saved too soon or something. So um, picture of Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He likens himself, the word of God, to bread. In John 6, go ahead and turn to John 6. You needed, to, you needed some, some turn-in exercises this morning, evidently. John 6, in verse 32. In verse 32, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave... Uh, you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So manna, right? Moses didn't provide manna. God did. God provides you true bread from heaven. For the bread which he, uh, or I'm sorry, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye, uh, ye also have not uh, seen me and believe not. All the and I should jump down. Verse forty-one. Verse forty-one. Um, 
And the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Down into verse 48, I am that bread of life. You cannot avoid the fact that this table of showbread stacked six by six is a picture of the word of God, a picture of the, of the Lord himself. It's a beautiful picture. Matter of fact, I'm sure that's probably why there's technical challenges because this might be the most important point. <laughs> it is so beautiful that the bread is placed there and is such a simple sustenance for people. Such a simple sustenance. It's also everlasting for the priests. In Matthew 12, 4, how, so this is, Jesus is talking about a story which is on the next slide. We'll get to that in just a second. But he said, and how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, were with him but only for the priests. Like Jesus is, and we'll explain that more in a moment, but Jesus is saying it wasn't lawful for David to eat the bread. It was supposed to be for the priests. So we looked at several weeks ago in the brazen altar, right? The cow, the, the, the mostly cows, but the different animals that were sacrificed, what was left could be consumed was literally the sustenance for the priests. It was their meal, Okay? They found their sufficiency in the sacrifice and the table of showbread. The priests, those who minister God's word, find their sufficiency in the sacrifice and the word of God. Don't miss it. It's a simple picture. Some of you have heard it before, but don't let it blow by just because it's not some big revelation. Think about it for a second. That is what takes care of the minister of God. It doesn't require more. It's that simple. But it was also an emergency for the king. Now, I kind of debated putting quotes around the king. If you know the story in 1 Samuel, David is, is in a situation and he actually lies to get what he needs. Okay, It's not one of his, he has several not stellar moments. This is one of them. And he says that he has sinned on an errand from the king, although he himself has been anointed as the future king, and he needs sustenance. So he goes to the priest and he says, now, therefore, what is under thy hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, there's no common bread under my hand. I don't have any bread in the cupboard for you. But there is hallowed bread, the bread that had been on the table of showbread. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in, in uh, when it was taken away. So the priest had just done the substitution, the weekly substitution, which actually gives you an insight that this interaction probably happened on the Sabbath day, which is a little more color on, da on the story of David here, if you're, if you're a student of that. But David actually gets the leftover showbread and he consumes it. Jesus talked about this in this verse, 
how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. And Jesus is talking about the fact that don't let religious structure get in the way of a clear need. Okay? Don't let religious tradition get in the way. Like if, uh, you know, if the donkey falls in the well, are you not going to pull him out on the Sabbath day? Right? I mean, you're going to do that which is reasonable to sustain life on the Sabbath day. And so it's also really interesting that this is the only supply, and I know I went back for a second, but this is the only thing that goes into the tabernacle that leaves the tabernacle. Everything else is consumed, either on the altar of incense or on the mercy seat. The blood that comes in, the, 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 spoil, the, uh, the oil in the lamps has to be replenished. Everything in the tabernacle is consumed except the showbread. It's a beautiful picture of the provision of God that is supposed to be taken out into the world and in an emergency situation shared with those that are hungry. Like, do I need to paint the picture any more than scripture already has? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So the building lesson, I know I'm running a little late here, but the building, first building lesson, the place God meets man always contains provision. Always. When you interact with God, he will take care of you. Sometimes that looks like work. Doesn't look like a lottery ticket. Like, I do believe that I could win the lottery without playing because my God is big enough to blow the lottery ticket into my car, the winning one, okay? So I don't have to expend it. Now, is that going to happen? No. Because of this thing called the curse and this thing called work. So I'm going to go work and I'm going to get provision through that work. It's not, it's not what I did. The last time I checked, I'm borrowing his light. I'm using his air like rent free. Like I don't like, like I just pointed, I just did this, right? Did I just do this? I kind of did that. Does anybody take a video of it? Cause now I look like I'm dancing. Okay. Like I didn't even think about moving my muscles. Like they, things just happen in my body. I mean, yeah, I raised my hand, but I don't think about all the muscles that need all the nerves that need to fire. Like that, God did that for me, not directly, but he created an environment that allows me to move. Like there isn't literally anything I do on the face of the earth that's not his provision. So the place where God meets man always contains provision. So this is also a foreshadow, a foreshadowing. Christ's royalty. And upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue. And put the dish, uh, there on the dishes and the spoons and the bowls to cover with all, and the continual bread shall be there upon or thereon. So you know they got to do this all the time again. So some some guidance in the book of Numbers, which happens a couple you know so uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? So we're still learning about what the priests are doing. They're they're putting out a blue cloth on the table before they put the bread on it. It's a picture. Blue has always been a picture of royalty in Scripture. It's actually commingling of royalty and blood. Purple, right, is a picture of royalty as well, right? 
Notice in Ephesians 5, the kingdom of Christ and his God. In 1 Timothy 4, or 2 Timothy 4, 1, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, be, uh, who shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in 2 Peter 1. Jesus sits on the throne of a kingdom. It is a picture of his royalty. It's also a picture of his purity. And thou shalt take fine flour. We looked at this verse already. And bake 12 cakes thereof. Two tenths deal shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. Pure gold, pure deity. And we see that, we see that reference. We see that, uh, I guess, reflected in Revelation 22, 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. See, God works in the measure of purity. God works in the measure of purity. We also see Christ's humanity. Thou shalt put this, this I had never seen this before. Like literally, I've studied this to some degree. I had never seen this before. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row which is kind of why I think there's stacks, right? They would put it one, like frankincense upon each row, and that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So on this table of showbread, or this within this table of showbread, you have gold, you have wood that has grown on the on the on the earth, you have bread, and you have frankincense. Like, you don't have to go very far into Matthew 2, right? The, what we often associate with Christmas, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, the only thing missing is the myrrh. And myrrh was the, the, the uh, spice that they would use to prepare the body for death, or after it had died, for burial, rather. In this table of showbread, even the very presence of frankincense points to Christ. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We see his, um, so we see his humanity, but lastly, we see his priority. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. This is Malachi. He's one of the minor prophets. And he talks about, in another place, about stealing or robbing from the, from the Lord with respect to offerings. But here, he's talking about being, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible but ye have profaned it and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. Like these, these, this nation of Israel at that point when Malachi is preaching kind of against them and the way they've been, the way they're taking from God, the way they're minimizing God is they're saying even the table of showbread is polluted. And in Matthew 9 the Pharisees, they, they thought Jesus was casting out devils through the prince of devils. In Matthew 12, and when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow hath, doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. The, look, there will always be a challenge against the purity of the showbread in the tabernacle. There will always be a challenge, hear me out, about the purity of the showbread in the tabernacle. <coughs> People always want to bring a new thing to the table. They always want to try to say, it's not sufficient. 
Let's add a little sugar. Let's add a little salt. Let's add cinnamon or whatever they think is a reasonable thing. And in some contexts are, but they pollute the pure showbread. They pollute the table. So our last building lesson of the day, the bread of life, and I would argue the pure table, blue cloth, pure bread, frankincense, point picturing Christ, the bread of life must be an integral part of our worship. I, I, I mean, zero disrespect by this, but there is no point in having showbread in a tabernacle. It's just sitting there. It's brought in, they sit it there, they do all their other stuff with the altar of, of incense, which we'll look at in a few weeks. The, they go into the Holy of Holies, and they sprinkle the blood, and the showbread's sitting there for a week while they do it. They don't eat it. Its presence completes the process. Jesus' presence, his, his illustrative, his pictured life, completes the presence of the believer in the, in the process of worship. Please don't refute that. Please don't push against that. And it brought forward a completely new verse for me, or a verse I, in a completely new way. The nation of Israel, uh, David, or the psalmist is recounting what, what the, the nation of Israel did against God and said, yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Oh, yes. Now, this is, this is a little bit of a context of like, we don't have anything to eat. But I don't think it's just that. I think there is a point to, can God really furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, actually, he can. And it's all you need. Like, don't complicate it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for 